Hey, everyone. Welcome to God's frat party. That's kind of lame. It's like a frat party. It's a frat party, then welcome. You know, it's really catching on, this whole idea of the frat party. People are really getting into it. Have you seen it's kind of like on viral? It's like all over. It even had an impact on the presidential campaign this week. Did you see that? You didn't see it? It was in the news. I think we have a picture of what was in the news here. This is what's going on. The Donald and Hillary hugging it out with togas in honor of our theme, God's Frat Party. If you're new here, you just got here this week, you're like, what in the world did I get myself into? Um, so really, that's not the kind of frat party we're talking about. Just dumped my kid off at um, University of Maryland, and there's still frat parties going on there. I don't care if he never goes to a single one of them, because a lot of times, ain't nothing good happens at them. But um, we're talking about the word fraternity, actually, which is a great word. It means like like a really deep connection, brothers and sisters who are united around a common allegiance to, to some, some things that they really share in common. And that now, that's exactly like what we are talking about in the church, aren't we? Like if God threw a frat party, it would mean that there, it didn't matter like who you knew or how you got in. It would, you, you were all invited. If you're committed to, to Jesus as your Lord, uh, you want in on this family of faith, you can be in. And if God threw a fat party, it would be very, very different, wouldn't it? It'd be something that would be what we long for, what we're really looking for, and what we really need the most. And so that's the idea of God's frat party, this church. And there are three letters, like for most frats, that kind of sum them up. And there are three that we've chosen out of the Greek language um, that really highlight the core practices and key convictions of what it means to follow Jesus. They really sum up the teaching of Jesus. They really come right out of uh, the scriptures. And so if, if you're like a newbie completely to the whole God, religion, Jesus, church thing, perfect, great timing, because what we're going to be talking about today and in the next few weeks really just kind of outlines like, here's how you live as a Jesus follower. Here's some stuff that really is what sets God's people apart. If you're an old timer, a veteran, upperclassman in the frat, Perfect, because we're always looking for ways to deepen and freshen our faith, aren't we? Like, re-ante up, like, what does this mean for me in this next season of my life if I'm going to be serious about my faith? So, whoever you are on that continuum, or everyone in between, or if you don't fit on that continuum, welcome, and uh, we're going to be diving in here with that. And I just want to encourage you to make a commitment as we talk about these concepts. Don't just learn the concepts in your head, that doesn't change anything. But if you'll make a commitment to say, I want to live this out, I want to welcome that into my life, it'll radically change your life. You'll end up having a life that looks very different, I promise. So I hope that you'll do that. And, uh, you know, eventually if you're hanging around a frat and you're just zipping around, eventually someone might corner you and say, wait, are you here for the free stuff or are you in? You know, are you, are you just here to hang out or are you in on this deal? Are you part of the frat or not? And it's probably a fair question for maybe all of us just to kind of get at that same kind of question in our own spirit. Are you just here hanging out, you know, for the free stuff? Or are you serious about, let's, I want to move forward in my faith with God? That's a great question. So let's go over. Um, you can get the T-shirt, Kappa uh, uh, Delta Pi T-shirt, and uh, that'll be a good conversation starter for you. Wherever you are, it's like, what's going on? Well, my church is doing this crazy thing about the basics of the Christian faith. It's called Kappa Delta Pi. So let's do it together. Say the letters again with me. Say them with me. Kappa Delta Pi. One more time. They're letters from the Greek language. Each of them is the first letter of a really powerful New Testament word. And the words are, the first word, the K-sounding kappa, 
is the word koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Koinonia just means deep fellowship, going on the journey with Jesus with some others. Okay? The, the triangle-looking letter is the delta, uh, and it's the D sound, and the word in the Greek language is doulos. Doulos. Everybody say doulos. Just means servant or slave, and it's like I've been set free from slavery to my own passions, to whatever else my life might have been. I'm set free to be ultimately now a servant to a master like Jesus and to serve other people, and that's a major life orientation when you take that as your cue. And then this is pi, right? You remember it from math class pi, 3.14, blah, 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 right? Well, it's the P sound in the Greek language, and it's the first letter of the word proskuneo. Try it with me. Proskuneo. That's a verb, and it basically just means I worship. It expresses this idea that God to me is more than just a thing or an other. It is more than a sort of perfunctory sort of I go and do some rituals at a church service. But my whole life is oriented in a posture of humility and gratitude toward God. I just love God with all, of I, all that I am. That's all wrapped up in that. Kappa, Delta, Pi. Koinonia, deep fellowship. Dulos, servanthood. Proskuneo, worship God with all you are. That's it. Pretty good stuff. Before we jump in and talk about what we're going to talk about today, I need to tell you about two little boys. They're nephews of my friend Matt. They were about eight and six years old at the time when this happened. Um, they went with their mom to the home of one of her friends to visit and hang out for the afternoon. The ladies had some stuff to talk about. And the woman who owned the home was like a total neat freak. I might have told you about this before, but just like a complete, like OCD, except she didn't even like to call it OCD. She liked to call it CDO because then the letters are in the right order. Okay. I mean like that kind, like really, really immaculate home, everything in its place, no clutter, right? You know the type. Surprisingly, hey, she didn't have any kids. Well, I wonder how that worked. Anyway, um, but she did have some toys. So when the kids came over, she had something. So here are the kids. So they, they sit down and she, she gets this big old box of Legos, takes the lid off, hands it to the boys on the living room floor. Now, I ask you, if you're an eight-year-old and a six-year-old boy and someone hands you a bunch of Legos, takes the lid off in the middle of a living room floor, what are you going to do with that? thing. You're going to dump it all out. I would love to do it right here, but I'm not going to. But yeah, they dumped it out on the floor and they started figuring out what they were going to build with this stuff, right? They start messing with it. And then she goes like, she can't even, she's like freaked out. She's like trying to talk. She can't kick her eye off that. And she just stops. She, excuse me just a second. And she goes into her cleanup mode and she gets down on the floor. She starts picking up these pieces, putting them back in. She says, no, 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 boys. She says, no, 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 boys. No. Putting them back inside, putting them back inside. When I said you could play with them, I meant that you could play with them one at a time. Wait, what? You can't play with Legos one at a time. Can you? No, I mean, I, no, you can't. It's not what Legos do. They're not, it's not how they work. It's not what they're for, right? A, a solitary Lego can never fulfill its destiny. Am I right? Here's the deal. What the Bible teaches is what every human being experiences and already knows. And that is that we're the same way. People are the same way as Legos. By the way, we're made. You can tell by looking at us. We're made to connect. That's, that's what Legos do. It's what humans do. It's what we're for. 
is connecting together with others. A solitary, completely solitary human being will also never fulfill its destiny. It's just not the way we're made. We're made for relationships with God and each other. It's kind of how we're dialed in. So the scriptures take our story from the very beginning in Genesis 1 where God creates. He, he's the sort of force behind everything and he, he creates all this stuff, oceans and whales and daisies and cucumbers and foxes and he looks bad at all and he says, that's good. If I do say so myself, and I do. He liked it. And then God creates a human, the man. And this one he makes in his own image. And after looking at the man, God says, that's not good. Why? Now, before some of you smart Alex insert answers there, <laughs> I'll tell you why God said it wasn't good. Because he was alone. And that's not what humans do. It's not what they're for. It's not how he made them. Remember, he made them in his own image, and it's just, it's not. Humans aren't made for one-at-a-time stuff. So, that's when God splits the atom. <laughs> Eve comes along, his life partner, his friend, and they connect. They connect. And then, and only then, God looks at it and says, now that, it's the only time in the Bible, in that whole creation account, where he says, now that's very good. I don't think that's a commentary on marriage. My own view is I don't think he's talking about marriage. I think he's talking about the human creature when he said it's very good. Because we're also made like a Lego to be connected with someone in community. Because remember, we're created in God's image. This is sort of fundamental 101 faith stuff. God from all eternity is a God of relationship. Father, Son, Spirit live together in an eternal Lego love relationship. Father, Son, Spirit. They are at the center of the universe and at the center of God is relationship. And now God made you in God's image and that means at the center of you, in the middle of your longing, at the base of your instinct, in the sort of natural gravitational pull that every human being feels is this nature of God that is all about relationship and connection. That's why every one of us feels it, feels frustrated with it and without it. That's, that's where it is. And just as the Father, Son, and Spirit enjoy each other, work together, serve each other, value each other, are always in connection, love each other. All of that is now poured into you, poured into me, and that's why you and I are made for a relationship and a solitary individual can never fulfill, fulfill its destiny. I think it's interesting that science is dabbling in this and coming up with these new amazing discoveries. You know what they're discovering with science these days? They're discovering that relationships are actually really important. They're vital to life. It's been amazing to me the number of studies even recently in the last few years that have been shown that relationships make us healthier, they make us happier, they make us add value, they add years to our life even. There was a Harvard study done recently with thousands of people they studied and it discovered that the, basically the more isolated you are from healthy relationships, the more likely you are to die young. That's interesting. They found that, listen to this, even if people had bad habits 
like health habits, like smoking, a lot of drinking, eating really poorly, if those same people had strong social ties and even a few health, healthy life-giving relationships, they still lived significantly longer than those people who had all the great health habits but who were isolated and lived as lone Legos. Isn't that interesting? Which, of course, means that it's better to pig out on Twinkies and Coke with your friends than it is to go to the gym and eat broccoli alone. So <laughs> take that to the bank. That's how I'm doing it from now on. There's no part of our life where this is more true than in your, the spiritual realm of who we are. We are not these primarily sort of human beings who have had this little spiritual part put into us. No, no, no. You're a spiritual being because you're created in the image of God. You're having a temporary human experience on this planet. And as these spiritual and physical beings, spiritual life then is a journey. It's a quest. And it is a journey that no one can successfully make on their own. I know that there are some versions of spirituality that encourage us to go inside ourselves and meditate and seek there. You know what you're going to find there? Nothing. Because truth ultimately and hope comes from outside of ourselves and combines with that who we are. And so it's a journey that we're not meant to make by ourselves. We're meant to make the spiritual journey with others like Legos, the Christian life particularly. It's meant to be lived and done together. In fact, I'll just come out and say it. If you're trying to do your spiritual life all by yourself, just me and Jesus, you're doing it wrong. According to Bible, according to, the, to Jesus. We need each other. And so before the time of the New Testament, there was a strong word in the Greek language. It was the word koinonia. And it was the word, it wasn't a religious word by any stretch. It was just a word that described a group of people that had a very close bond and common allegiance and shared values and sometimes even shared possessions. They just lived in community. And when the early uh, writers saw the church and saw the way the Christians hung out and did life together, they said, that's the perfect word to describe them, koinonia. They live in that kind of close sort of fellowship. It was a company of friends. It's a, it's a frat party. They're kind of moving in the same direction. They care about the same. Now, they were very diverse. They had a lot of different opinions and a lot of different, they looked different, different nationalities and ethnicity, all that, but they were moving in the same direction. That's what we mean by God's frat party. Take a look at the Bible, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is right after Jesus. He's lived, he's led, he's called, and then he's checked out. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving my spirit. Peter stands up and says, well, Jesus isn't here. I guess I'll tell him about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus and say, what should we do? He says, be baptized. 3,000 are baptized. The church is born that day and things are off and running. And that very day then the scripture writer summarizes this early Christian community and how they live together. And look what it says. Acts 2, 42. All the believers devoted themselves. The word devoted is a word that's strong word. It means attached to. It means committed deeply to. So what did they commit, attach, and devote themselves to? The early believers. Well, here's what it says. To the teaching of the apostles, to their fellowship, to the sharing in meals like eating and doing church together, that's what that meant, and to prayer. Pretty simple. But this idea of attaching and devoting themselves, it kind of moves in two directions. First, they attached themselves or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what are the apostles' teaching? What was that all about? Jesus. We don't want to lose our connection to Jesus. 
He's not here right now in the flesh to hold on to. So we've got to stay connected to all the stuff about Jesus. So they stayed connected to Jesus, and then they stayed connected to the fellowship. That word there in your Bible in the Greek is koinonia. They stayed connected to the koinonia community, the friends. Connected to Jesus. Connected with others. Connected to Jesus. Connected to others. And friends, this has always been what it means to be a Christ follower. So first gut check of the day right here. Are you attached, devoted, connected with Jesus in any real way? And are you attached, connected, devoted to some others who are also on the journey with Jesus? Because that's fundamentally where Christianity 101 starts. Connect to Jesus, connect to some others who are on the journey. We want to help each other do that because it's not easy. It's not as easy as it sounds. God hates loneliness. And so he gives us this answer for that, which is himself and each other to be expressed in a special kind of way called koinonia, spiritual friends on the journey. Because life's hard. The road is tough. The battle is real. But the moments of sweetness you experience with friends along the way are what we're made for. And we long for that, don't we? We really long for it. If we'll admit it, we long for it. And yet, we're terrified of it. We're afraid we'll be exposed. We're afraid of our insecurities. Most of us have been burned a time or more. We have cynicism. We have fear. All of these things work against the very thing we long for and are, in fact, made for. So how do we find some spiritual friends? How do we experience a sense of koinonia and community? Because it feels elusive and hard to attain sometimes, doesn't it? Like an endangered species. Let me share with you from a guy named Paul in the Bible. Romans chapter 1, he's describing his relationship with some people who live in Rome. He's not there yet, he's heading there, and he's talking about the level of their friendship. I encourage you to look at it. Romans chapter 1, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, he talks about how thankful he is for them and how special this relationship is and how much he wants to hang out with them and how he's praying for them all the time and how we need, they need to be together and all this stuff. And then I want to focus in on verse 11. Romans chapter 1, verse 11, here's what he says. I long to see you. So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That's, how, that's a great friendship right there. I can't wait to be you because I want to I give you a gift. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Notice, first of all, that Luke says, I long to see you and be with you. When you yearn and desire deeply to connect with friends that pull is is a natural and good thing and especially he's saying it's true because i know good things are going to happen spiritually speaking between us that's koinonia so it's not just hanging out it's not just getting all the feels it's not just liking somebody what paul says is when we get together we're both going to go away stronger and that's a hallmark of real christian fellowship and when a person says, I long to be with you, that's not something you say to anybody. I mean, you go meet with your banker, right? You're not going to say, I'm so glad we had this meeting. I long, I've longed to be with you. <laughs> no. 
True green guy shows up to pay, you're trying to pay the bill, and you're like, oh, I have yearned for this moment. It's like, no, 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 no. But when you, when you yearn and long for something, it's, it's a real relationship. And so what I'm trying to suggest to us is that this is the kind of thing we need to pursue. We need to pursue relationships that matter. Let's face it, we have a lot of connections, colleagues, people we work with, people we see, people we bounce in and out with on Facebook and all that. That's great. But you know what? There are some relationships that really just matter in a different way, and that's the essence of koinonia. They're not just the casual surface level bump into you things. They're, they're deeper than that. And so I want to encourage us to pursue amidst, amidst all of the surface level something more significant. Can't do it with everybody, but some you can. People who kind of are on a journey with God, they're on a journey with you. If you've got that... Beautiful. That's koinonia. It's relationships that matter. Let me give you a, a, um, uh, a snapshot from Scripture of this. And, I, and I've shared this with you before because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I don't even know why except that it strikes a deep chord in me and it makes me long for things that I know God wants for me. So let me share it with you in case it does the same. It's Acts chapter 20. Same guy, Paul. And he's traveling uh, from Jerusalem, and he's going along a way, and, and he's coming near a place called Miletus, which is sort of near Ephesus. Stay with me. He, he, he sends word to some old buddies that he has done life with to, um, to arrange a kind of rendezvous with this special group of friends. These guys, they've done ministry together for a couple of years, and he wants to know, as I'm passing by, would you want to come over and we could hang out? It may be the last time we see each other. So he sends word, and they walk by foot, on foot, like 60 miles, drop, getting away from work, all the stuff that goes into that, all the expense. That's what friends do. That's the level of friendship. They meet together, and they have this awesome meeting, and they're hanging out together. They're Acts chapter 20. Read it for yourself. Paul's getting ready to go through a turning point in his life. What do you do when you're getting ready to do something big? You call on your friends. When you're getting ready to face some scary things, you yearn for that kind of connection. Paul wants to seek strength. Do you know who the people are in your life when you need to seek spiritual strength? Who do you go to? That's what Paul's doing. They get together, and it's a powerful picture of Koinonia. Verse 28, Acts 20, he challenges them to stay strong. He says, you've got some big stuff coming up. You've got to you know, be tough. That's a test of, of Koinonia as if it makes you stronger in your faith. Jesus is in the center of this relationship. Verse 36, they pray together. Why don't we do that more? What are we afraid of? We say, I'll pray for you. We, maybe we just need to pray more together. It would take things to another level, don't you think? They prayed together. And then look what had happened. This is kind of almost humorous and, I don't know, if it's embarrassing or whatever. Here, a big bunch of strapping guys getting together. But verse 37 says, Then they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. When guys get weepy and, you know, when they do the big bear hug and slap on the back, you know, five times, love you, bro, and they're knocking each other, hitting each other, and I love you. Because snot's coming. Because why? They have a relationship that they've done life together. This is a small group that really, really connects and they, they're waving goodbye like little schoolgirls with their tissues because they don't know if they're going to see each other again. There's something that mattered there. When I look at that, it just does something to me. I want that in my life. I think I'm made for that. I think we all are. And we express this differently. Introverts, extroverts, people with, you know, they don't like relationships that much, but, but we all know whoever we are, we need something like that. Do you have relationships that matter in your life? who are with you on a, a spiritual journey toward Christ and with Christ. 
Jay Kessler says, I'm trying to live my life in such a way that when it's my time to go, there will be eight men willing to carry my casket. I wanna, I'm, I'm on a journey toward God right now. And I want to do it with some others who are also on a journey with God. And I want to share life with them to the degree that when I really am going to go to God, they'll carry me out. Casket carrier relationships that matter. We all need to know who our casket carriers are. So how do we do it? How do we make this happen? How do we enrich the relationships we already have, how do we turn our small group to go in a different direction? How do we find friends? How do we get started? Okay, so how many of you are enjoying the sunflowers all over Harvard County right now, right? You, some of you have been out there and parked illegally and taken the picture in some guy's field, you right? Beautiful. These sunflowers are amazing. And uh, that's, it's a big, big deal right now. And, you know, but you ask yourself, well, how does that happen? How does the sunflower grow? How do you get a whole field of them? Well, part of it is you have to say, well, it's a mystery. I don't know how things grow. It's, it's kind of amazing. It's just there's dirt and then there's a thing. It's like, wow, God, don't, God does that. But I also know this. If you don't cultivate the soil and put a seed in the ground and give it some light and water, ain't nothing going to grow. And it's the same way with deep fellowship and relationships that matter in our lives. If you want the fruit of sunflower koinonia in your life, there's a sense in which you can't manufacture it. You can't make it happen in a guaranteed automatic way. God does it. It's a gift of grace when you're surrounded with some awesome friends and you look and say, I, I don't know how this happened exactly, but I love it. But I do know this. It won't happen if you don't cultivate the soil of your heart and plant some seeds intentionally and do some stuff to get light and water into your life. Let's talk about what we could do, all of us, to help cultivate this kind of deal in our life. Let me just give you a few things, okay? These are scriptural concepts that I hope you'll take to heart. Evaluate your own life and casket carrier situation at the moment. First, I think we need to make space. We need to make space in our brain for the idea of real friendship. For some of us, that's a mind change. We need to make space in our heart for the idea. We need to make space in our life for people because we're very busy we're very focused and it's one of the ways we protect ourselves from having to connect and some of us have been doing the lone lego for so long making space is a big deal we need to make room sometimes in our own lives in our cars in our homes in our you know i know i know dan from the church here he put an extra part of his driveway in why he put a whole new area of blacktop so people from his small group would have a place to park I know someone who put an addition on their house. Why? Because they want to have friends from the church over more often, sit around the campfire in the back and have a deck to sit on. That's literally the gift of hospitality is what we talk about when we say making space. You have space for this kind of thing to happen in your life. My friend Chris is here this weekend. He's an old friend. Um, we've done a lot, of, a lot of life together over the years. We've climbed a lot of rocks, we've uh, played a lot of volleyball, we've done some hiking, we've been through some tough times, some great times, some spiritual avenues together. We've got some history and we've kind of separated and gone different ways with work and things like that. But Facebook hits me up the other day, he's like, hey, I'm going to be coming through. I'm like, hey, sweet, here's the garage code, come on in. You know, I get home, here's Chris, you know, Chris, he's just hanging out, you know, he's like, I give him the garage code, which is like two Viking numbers, which he should have remembered from the last time he was visiting but you know he just shows up he mowed my lawn for me the other day you know he's like running errands for me he's like this guy this is a friendship that's working for me 
When Chris shows up, he just makes himself at home because he's that kind of friend. We have something that we call with friends like that refrigerator rights. Okay? He just comes in and helps himself. You don't have to ask. There was, a, there was a line that got crossed years ago where it's just like, that's not weird. Some of you show up in my house. I walk in and you're in my fridge. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> but not with Chris. That's, that's what we mean by making space. Refrigerator rights. Do you have friends with refrigerator rights? Everybody, I hope, does. And if you do, I hope they're also a friend who's good for you, a friend who loves Jesus and who loves you. Not anybody in your fridge is a good thing. But I hope it's someone who can help you. This is hard because we're busy. It feels invasive. I want to encourage you. Second, we need to not only make space, we need to go deep. We need to learn to get better at maybe being the leader in helping a relationship once in a while dip down into something of real substance. We need to be the one sometimes who says, let's get beyond just surface level, the sort of outer garb of who we appear to be, and let's talk about stuff that really matters once in a while. The level of conversation is a real clue to how deep the relationship is allowed to go. And so we all just normally do small talk. Hey, what about those Ravens? Hope they don't lose today against the Browns. That'd be really embarrassing. You know, whatever. That's cliche. Or facts, you know, they really don't look that good. You know, that's just fact level or whatever. But then we can move on to opinions. Opinions, it's like, you know, but the Vikings now, there's a team that I happen to think is really, really good. All that's kind of up here at the surface. But then when you start talking about emotions, like how you really feel or an honest expression about something that's personal to you, that's when relationships are allowed to go a little deeper. And we need to get beyond just exchanging information debating about things, talking about the weather and sports, and get into something a little deeper. Let me share something uh, w- with you that um, I-, I think is really uh, kind of interesting. I just saw from, from the Gospel of Matthew. This is the life of Jesus who really took relationships with his friends very deep. And one way he did it is he shared kind of vulnerably about some of his own experience. It's a big clue. Matthew 26. He shares his anguish with his friends. This is where he goes to the place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's going to be arrested, beaten, and stuck on a cross. He's not excited and he's worried to death about this stuff. And you might think, well, here's, he's Jesus. Come on. Shouldn't he just be able to go pray prayers to the Father? He's got such a good relationship with God. Why, why wouldn't he just kind of do that and get through it? And that's how we think. We often think that's exactly what we should do. If I have a tough time, I ought to be able to get through it on my own, not ask for any help. And maybe if I just kind of was spiritual enough, I'd pray to, Jesus, to, to the Father and I'd get through it. According to the Bible and Jesus' own example, wrong. That's not what Jesus does at all. He invites three friends with him to that place, to this garden, as he's getting ready to deal with the most horrific challenge of his life. He invites them in. This is pretty important. Verse 38, he says to them, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is the Son of God who is saying... I'm about to burst with sorrow. I don't know if I can make it here. I want you to share this experience with me. You talk about going deep? That's an example. And if Jesus did it, maybe that should be a clue. That's how he treated his friendships, and I guarantee that took a a level deeper. And so when you invite your friends into some of your shared experience, you know, I'm going through this with my parents right now. I'm worried about my kid. I just got laid off. Or I'm embarrassed about my finances, but here's what's going on. Or uh, I'm struggling with this or that health issue. That's how a relationship can also go deep. I hope you have three friends like Jesus did that you can call and share experience, especially spiritual ones, about what you're really thankful for what you're struggling with, why you're happy, and why you're sad.
So we need to make some space. We need to allow relationships to go deep. And then we need to keep it real. Keep it real just reminds us, you know, be yourself. No phoniness. Let's not, let's take the masks off. Keep it real. No pretense or phoniness. If one person in a group, I was in a group, I'm in a small group right now in our home, and somebody got real about race the other night. We were talking about this race stuff at Mount. Somebody got real, and all of a sudden, everybody just went, oh, good. We can be real now. Me too. I got some garbage on that also. And all of a sudden, it changed. When one person leads out and is a little vulnerable and real, doesn't it interesting how it changes everything? And what we mean by keep it real is also, let's base our relationships in reality. Let's base them in reality. Anyone who's awestruck with you, super impressed, they're not really your friend. They're a fan. Some of you are all impressed with me because I'm standing up here with a mic on. It's like my wife's like, good grief. She's like, because she knows me. Okay, if you knew me, you wouldn't be nearly so impressed, I promise. So awesome. we're talking about keep it real just means we've got to help see people for who they are and help them see that. To, to be honest and share what the Bible says this phrase, sharing the truth in love. That's a big deal. Love demands that we be honest to confront the illusions that we all have in each other because we're all running around with these blind spots. My daughter's learning how to drive and we're helping her learn the concept of blind spots. Like don't pull over until you look back there. And we do that in life all the time. We just kind of bumble through and we don't see things about ourselves, but a friend can change that. And so love demands that. So sometimes that means speaking the truth in love. So Jesus, do you think he loved Peter? Was he, did he love Peter? Did it mean he always just kind of patted him on the back and you know, a little, little pat on the bottom like you little lovely boy? No. Mark 8.33, listen, this is Jesus speaking. Here's what he says to his good buddy Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're, you're thinking all screwed up right now. You're, not, you're thinking like the devil, not, not God. Talk about keeping it real. But love cannot ignore things in a friend that is destructive to that person. That, love can't do it. So daring to be honest, and listen, if you dare to be honest, speak the truth and love to someone, it's a tremendous opportunity to grow. When someone speaks truth to me and helps me see my blind spots, I have a tremendous gift there and an opportunity to grow. And that's why God gives us each other. When someone said to me, Ben, I really like you're really good at that and you're doing all those things, but when you do all that, no one else gets to do that stuff and it looks like arrogance out of you because you think you're the only one who can do it. And I'm like, I didn't see that. Thank you. And I had an opportunity to grow. When people help you see your detachment or your anger or issues like that, that's a gift to grow. Is there someone you need to invite to tell you the truth about yourself? Is your community helping you do that? Is there someone who needs you to trust the bridge of that relationship, to venture a few steps across, to speak some words of loving truth? So we're pursuing relationships that matter and we're going to make space and go deep and keep it real. Last, just we've got to build each other up. We've got to build up. Build up. Relationships that have Jesus in them, that's what they're for. Most of all, they're to build each other up. Koinonia is about building each other up. Look at that verse again. I long to see you, Paul says, so that I can impart some spiritual gift to you to make you strong. I want to build you up. 
but also I want you to build me up. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, I don't care who you are, you can build me up. We can mutually encourage each other's faith. That, at the end of the day, is the test of real Christian fellowship. Are you making each other stronger in who you're meant to be in God? I don't want you to settle for who you would be. I want to build you up. Henry Ford was asked, who's your best friend? People started naming names. He said, no, I'll tell you who your best friend. Your best friend is the one who brings out the best in you. That's who your friend is. And that's what God intends for our relationships together as well. We build each other up, make each other stronger. If you're growing in your faith right now, I can tell you, you probably have someone who's on the journey with you. And if you're not growing in your faith, this might be the first area I'd check. Do you have someone who's helping you make that progress? Because friends, let's face it, life is hard. And we need help. So Paul ends this same letter, Romans 14, verse 19. So then let us make every effort to do what brings peace and harmony in the church and to build each other up. Starts the letter, ends the letter. And the same guy says to some other friends over in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 15, 11, encourage each other and build each other up. I love this, just as you're already doing it. Now, you're already doing it, but don't stop because heaven knows it's going to still get hard. Life is hard. This is a battle. The Christian life is not easy. Friends, we need to build each other up. Pour into each other. Affirm each other. I got, I, my wife had a birthday. And I got a bunch of friends together that mean something to her. People that she would call some of her casket carriers. Got them in a living room. Best gift I ever gave my wife. I just said, just talk to her. Tell her what you think of her. Bless her. Encourage her. Build her up. And for half an hour, they went around the room and they said, you're awesome because of that. I thank you for that. I appreciate that about you. Yeah, it was a little hard and awkward to get there, but I'm so glad we did because we all need what she got on her birthday is to be built up. So, who are you building up? Who are you building up? Who are you pouring into? Who's your target? Who's your, I'm just going to try to impart some spiritual strength to them. Just tell them they're doing a good job. Hang in there. I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm praying for you. You're doing that for anyone? Who's building you up? Because this journey can't be done alone. Got to connect with some others. Hey, before we, before we quit, I'd be amiss if I didn't just nail this down in a practical way and just say, man, we've got to connect. And the way we connect at Mountain, the way we do Lego life is in small groups. It's the way we get out of the rows and into the circles where we can kind of go face to face. Small groups are little communities that fill up this big old community. This big old community goes into the smaller groups. Why do we small, small groups are where we take care of each other. When stuff goes wrong in your life, you've got those friends that are right around you. It's where we study the Bible and go deeper. We can't just get where we need to get on 30 minutes on a weekend. It's not going to happen. It's where we don't just sit around and stare at our navels. We're going to serve. We're going to get outside and do stuff together. We're going to serve together. And, and it's easy to get connected at Mountain. We've got a whole team of people who are devoted to helping you find your way into a Lego group at Mountain. So you stop, how do you do it? Stop by the connecting corner at any of our campuses today. And we'll start the conversation and help you. Or go to the website and go to the groups thing, click on the green button, and it's really getting easier and easier all the time on our website, just to check it out and figure it out. If you're like, I'm still freaked by this, this is a trick, there's going to be Kool-Aid there, I'm going to have confess my sins, I'm going to have to pray out loud, I'm going to have to hold hands, I'm going to have to sacrifice a goat, probably have to pray out loud, and all this stuff. It's like, okay, what, what, what? we got these things called mid-sized groups. 
30, 40, 50, 60, 60, 70 people gather together, watch a video, sit around a table with the 6 to 10 people, talk about it. You don't have to talk if you don't want to. Just kind of observe. I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm trying to trick you into that because after you do that for six or eight weeks and it's over, you're going to be like, well, I don't want it to be over. And that's a good thing. But mid-sized groups might be a way. So find your way to the web and do it one way or another. Connect. Hundreds have joined groups in the last couple of weeks. Hundreds are going to more are going to join this fall. I hope you're one of them. Because Koinonia is a big deal. We all need it. Let me pray for you. God, we're grateful for Jesus and the way he invites us into relationship with him, but also with others. It's hard. We're scared. We don't get it. We're busy. But we also know there's a ring of truth here, Lord, and we long for it, and we ask for your help. As we make space and try to go deep, as we try to be honest and real, mostly help us to build each other up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.